Third and one. Rodgers under pressure again and just has to flip it. And it is going to be caught by Williams for the touchdown. As I rolled to the right there, I saw Jimmy. I was actually throwing a, a ball that uh, I thought maybe Jimmy could go up and get if he wanted to. And if he didn't, the guy behind him might be able to get. Um, luckily, the guy behind him got it. That was one of the best, if not the best, pass I've ever seen live in person. I, that was incredible. I couldn't believe it. Way back. Get up. Get out of here. Go. Rainbows high and deep. Touchdown, Wisconsin. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. Green Bay Packers, 31-24 winners last night. Sunday night football, NBC Big Stage, Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. And I know that Patrick Mahomes was out. Still a really fun, really entertaining game, at least for Packers fans. 7-1 and one now on the season. I had a blast. I had a blast last night watching that game. Some really great performances on, on both teams. Some really good players, even with Patrick Mahomes out. Packers are 7-1. and one, Big winners last night. And that's great. The problem with this game, and the problem with, I think, so many other NFL games, is that people make to look these games into something that they're not. They try to make games like these big deciding factors, big statements, right, in the landscape of the NFL, right? This morning, I'm... I'm tuning in to talk shows, I'm listening to radio shows, and people are saying, man, did last night's game make Aaron Rodgers a a front runner in the MVP race, right? Did last night's game make Aaron Jones a top five NFL back, right? Did did last night's game put put Green Bay with with San Francisco and New Orleans and New England in, in that Super Bowl bubble of teams? Last night's game, you know what it meant? It means they're seven and one. Another win to, to go and try to win the division. Another win to, to help with seeding at the end of the season. Another win last night that you don't have to get in Minnesota or in Detroit or in San Francisco later on in the year. That's what it means. Forget the MVP talk. Forget Aaron Jones being underrated. I don't care. I hope he remains underrated. Because God was he good last night. Where does Green Bay stand with San Fran and New England and New Orleans? I, I don't know. I don't care. You know what last night's game meant? It means the Packers are 7-1. and one. They're 3-0 in the division. They're leading the division, keeping the Vikings at bay for another week. And they look really, really good. Oh, yeah, and by the way, they're still doing it without Devontae Adams, which might be turning into a blessing in disguise. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. We're going to talk a lot of Packers. And, and not to downplay the importance of last night's game, all that being said, how much fun was that last night, right? Sit down. I don't know what it is about Sunday Night Football. It feels bigger. I think my favorite network, my favorite time of day to watch games is on Fox. I like Terry Howie, Michael, and Jimmy. I like Joe and Troy. I like the Fox music. I think that might be my favorite. But Sunday Night Football has this aura, this feeling to it. No matter what teams play. I mean, tonight on ESPN, you have, oh man, you have the Steelers and the Dolphins. Put that game on Sunday Night Football, it feels bigger. Right? Even though those two teams are terrible, right? And the crowd's going to be dead. And there's nothing riding on that game. It would still feel bigger. It's Sunday Night Football. Last night was a lot of fun, and and I do want to dig into it. I want to talk about it because there were some great performances last night, some great plays, uh, and there's a lot to get into. You can join me, 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talk and text line. You can also send me a tweet, Talk Packers, there anytime, not just when I'm on the air, at Keystroke or Grant, or you can tweet the station 
all of us, myself, Dave, Grady, at WKTY. Last night, I'm taking notes during the game, and, and my laptop's busted right now, so I'm actually taking notes in a notebook, like a caveman, right? writing down bullet points, writing down little blurbs, uh, stuff that I can refer and come back to during the show today, right? And when the Packers went up 14 to nothing, I thought, and I bet a lot of you thought, okay, the route is on, right? This is going to be a Sunday night primetime party. We've seen this before, right? I believe a couple of years ago, the Packers did this to the, to the Chiefs at Lambeau. It was either Sunday night football or Monday night football. I'm not sure. Just hung one on them, right? I suppose it would have been in, in 2015, four years ago. It felt like that. It felt like we were going to have to have a recap of that. The Packers were just going to run all over the Chiefs, and all the Packer fans and Cheeseheads in Kansas City were going to be hurt, and Aaron Rodgers was going to put up another MVP type of performance like we saw last week. Packers up 14 to nothing. Now, at that point in the game, the Packers should have turned loose Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. Now, they didn't for a couple of reasons. They got away from it. They let Aaron Rodgers sling the ball. Aaron Rodgers takes a couple of bad sacks. They got to punt the ball away, and, and eventually Kansas City actually comes back to take a 17-14 to 14 lead. Right? Packers score 14 in the first, nothing in the second. Kansas City scores no points in the first, 17 in the second. So it's a 17-14 game at halftime, even though the Packers opened up 14 to nothing. The Packers should have ran the ball right down the throats of Kansas City. And I know Aaron Jones got hurt, which probably impacted that a little bit. But Kansas City is a 29th-ranked rushing defense. They're allowing 5.5 yards per carry. Last night when the Packers went up 14 to nothing, pound the ball. Pound the rock. Go ugly football, Wisconsin Badgers football if you need to, right? Mix in Vitaly, mix in Jamal Williams, right? Maybe give it to Valdez Scantling on a sweep play, right? And I know Aaron Jones got hurt, and if Aaron Jones would have been perfectly fine throughout the whole game and wouldn't have missed a snap... Maybe the Packers do turn on the route, and they do run the ball, and they go up 21, 24, 31 nothing. Who knows? After that 14 nothing point. But they didn't. And Matt Moore in Kansas City got a couple of cracks at it in rapid succession, and they got a little something going. They started to figure things out, right? And look, Matt Moore, and this has been the talking point of the day, was coaching high school football last year, right? He's been out of it for a while. The goal of the Packers, as odd as it sounds, should have been to keep him off the field. Don't give him chances. Don't give him reps to try to get into a rhythm, right? To figure out the game plan, to, to build chemistry with uh, with McCole Hardman and Tyreek Hill. Well, the Packers take a big sack. They punt the ball a couple of times, and now Kansas City's starting to figure things out. And once again, scores 17 unanswered points to take a three-point lead into halftime. If Green Bay would have lost last night, which they didn't, but if they would have lost last night's game, that's the turning point. That's the moment in time last night that you come back to and say, that's where you gotta that's where you gotta close. As weird as it sounds, it's the first quarter, you're on the road in a huge primetime game. You have to close there. Up 14 to nothing, run the ball, dominate time of possession, eat clock, keep Matt Moore and those weapons off the field so they don't have chances, repetitions to build chemistry, to build a connection, to get in a groove, and really end the game in the first, late in the second quarter. By going up 21 to nothing, 24 nothing, 28 nothing. Run, 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 run the ball. Kansas City, 29th ranked run defense, five and a half yards per carry. Now, unfortunately, the Packers weren't able to do that. Kansas City climbs back into it, and Aaron Rodgers had to respond. Aaron Rodgers had to have uh, essentially act number two after that great first quarter. And he did, and he was excellent. He did just enough to get the job done last night, played complimentary football with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. 
Played complimentary football with his defense when he was provided with a turnover. They did something with it. I think that's one of the most important stats in all of football. Not only turnovers, but I take it a step further. Points off of turnovers, right? Kansas City could have fumbled the ball three times last night. If the Packers don't score off any of those points, it really doesn't make a whole lot of difference. It's just a bunch of wasted time and wasted energy. Points off turnovers are huge. Aaron Rodgers responded. He almost had a second act, right? They go up 14 to nothing. You think, all right, this game might be over. This game might be done. Green Bay's defense gives up some big plays, gives up some points. Now the Packers are down. Aaron Rodgers responds, right? Plays in conjunction with that running game. Plays in conjunction with his defense, and they ultimately end up winning 31-24. to One turnover might have made the difference last night. It was it was a Sean McCoy fumble uh, that sat his can on the bench the rest of the game. And for those of you who've watched uh, LaShawn McCoy, Shady McCoy, at all the last couple of years, you know, uh, man, he likes to hold the ball out in the open, right? He's not a high and tight running back. He holds it out in his hand. And it wasn't ultimately a, a hit that knocked the ball out. He just kind of coughed it up. And Tyler Lancaster laying on the ground said, thank you very much, pulled it right in, right? Yesterday, if the Packers would have lost that first quarter, 14 to nothing, that moment in time, that was the turning point where they should have ran the ball, should have ran the clock, should have kept Tyreek Hill and McCole Hardman and LaShawn McCoy all on the sideline, try to figure it out there rather than trying to piece it together on the field. Aaron Rodgers responded and, and kind of had an a, act two, right? Where after building that big lead, had to come back and respond. Able to do so and the Packers able to win last night, 31 to nothing. Here's what I want to do today, uh, and I want to hear from you as well. 608-796-2558, that's the five-star telecom talk and text line. I want to talk about the offense, specifically about one player. And Aaron Rodgers is great last night, 23-33-305, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Including that wild third down heave to Jake Kumro and that wild third down heave in the back of the end zone to Jamal Williams. Aaron Rodgers is great, but it was really the other Aaron, Aaron Jones, who was great last night. I want to talk about him coming up next. I also want to talk about the Packers' defense. I've heard a lot of takes thrown around about the Packers' defense today. I want to take a nuanced look at what not only happened last night, but the last two weeks is the defense giving up some yards, giving up some points. We're going to take a full look at last night's game. And yes, we have to talk about what happened on Saturday in Columbus uh, with our Wisconsin Badgers, who have not had uh, the greatest 14 days between Illinois and between Ohio State. All of that and more coming up. This is the Wisco Sports Show presented by Play It Again Sports. Stay tuned in here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. I am your host. I'm having a lot of fun today talking about this Packers victory. Look, win or lose, I looked at one of my friends last night while watching the game. This team is just fun. A year ago, they felt dead. They felt like a like a crumbling story. Aaron Rodgers was going to have an ugly end to his career, and they wasted his prime, and, and they held on to a GM too long, and the Bucks are good, and the Brewers are good, and the Packers are on their way out. And then in a year... They went to this almost electric, entertaining team that I love to watch. Last year, I dreaded watching those Packer games. When the Packers were playing the Cardinals for four straight quarters, I just wanted to go to the library at UWL and just get homework done. I'm like, man, this is a drag. And in in, in a year or less, I, I'm having so much fun watching this, this Packers team. 31-24 winners over the Chiefs yesterday. And I started the show by saying, look, I, I don't know that this one win single-handedly decides anything, right? Like, if you're going to turn on the TV, Sports Center, uh, a- any of those shows with the talking heads that are obviously not nearly as good as this show, they're going to say, well, does this win put Aaron Rodgers into the MVP conversation? Does this win 
mean that Aaron Jones is a top five running back, right? Does this put Green Bay up there with New Orleans and with New England? Man, I don't know. I don't care. It means they're seven and one. It's another notch in the belt. It's another win in your pocket that you don't have to go get uh, in in U.S. Bank Stadium or in Detroit or in San Francisco, right? It's just another win to put in your back pocket towards seeding come the end of the year, towards trying to win a division for the first time in a couple of years. Don't make it anything bigger than it needs to be. Let's enjoy talking about it. Enjoy the performances, the players from last night. You can join me, 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talk and text line. Aaron Rodgers was great last night. 23-33, 3 touchdowns, no interceptions. I actually thought there were a couple of plays where he missed some stuff. Where he had a fullback open. There was a play on third down where Vitaly was coming on an angle route right over the middle. He was open. Rodgers missed him and he knew it. He also had Valdez Scantling down the down the seam. On the flea flicker play that ended in basically a, a run with no gain, no loss. I don't know if it was scored a sack or if Rodgers made it back to the line of scrimmage. Valdez Scantling was open down the seam. There were a couple of plays where Rodgers missed a couple of open receivers. And he, he missed that throw. He underthrew Jimmy Graham a little bit. But he didn't make plays to hurt his team last night. He left a little bit more meat on the bone, and I'm sure he'll be the first one to say so. Aaron Rodgers was not the most impressive Aaron last night. It was Aaron Jones by a long shot. And if you look at his rushing totals, maybe you don't jump off the screen. 13 carries for 67 yards. In fact, his longest run was only 9 yards. But receiving the ball is where he got it done. 7 catches, 159 yards, 2 touchdowns, and a long catch of 67 yards. Aaron Jones with his dad in attendance last night. It was a cool scene. Really, really big, really cool performance from Jones last night. And I know I wanted to talk about Aaron Jones today. I was prepping for the show earlier today. And my show notes says Aaron Jones. That is all. That's really all I've written down. And that's really the center of the conversation around Aaron Jones. He is so good. I'm not arguing that he's underrated, that he's a top three running back, that he's Alvin Kamara or that he's up there with Saquon. I don't care, man. I hope nobody pays attention to him. I hope he stays underrated because I truthfully think that when teams prepare for the Packers, they go, oh, yeah, Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, they have a good one-two punch. No, I I still think people underestimate how good Aaron Jones is. I think I'm still underestimating how good Aaron Jones is, and that's okay. I'm okay with that, right? Aaron Jones was so flipping good last night. What else do you want me to say about him, right? What else is there to be said? Last night, in a game that included Tyreek Hill and Mecole Hardman, two of the quicker, flashier, more dynamic players that are in the NFL right now, and Tyreek Hill might be the, the, the quickest, fastest wide receiver I've ever seen, Aaron Jones really was right up there with them, with dynamic plays, with speed, with vision. He held his own. I think he fit with a couple of those super dynamic pass catchers that the Chiefs put out there last night. And that really says something. And by the way, this is a side note. I know Packers fans, we don't get to see the Chiefs a whole lot unless they're on primetime, a couple times a year at most. Tyree Kill is that. He is that guy. Mecole Hardman is that guy. Oh my God, don't they look... They, they make everyone look so slow. There was a play last night where Blake Martinez got cooked so bad, it looked like his shoes were stuck into the grass. And that's not a rip on Blake Martinez... That's just how good, how fast, how dynamic some of those weapons are for Kansas City. My God. And Aaron Jones, I I thought he held his own. I thought he looked the part of those other weapons from Kansas City. And when I started the show today, I talked about how the the Packers jumped out to a 14-0 lead. And after that, they they, kind of quieted down and the offense looked different. Well, 
That's mostly due to, in part, that Aaron Jones got kind of banged up, had to leave the game. The offense looked so much different, so much different with Aaron Jones out there versus Aaron Jones on the bench. So much different. Last night I'm watching with my roommates, and and my roommate Logan, who's normally pretty quiet, he's pretty locked in during games. I'm not going to say he's stressed out, but he's focused, right? This is a big deal. We're watching the Packers here. Often doesn't say a whole lot. Looks at me and he goes, man, Aaron Jones really opens up the offense. I'm like, that's the perfect way of putting it. When he is out there, all the wide receivers are better. The offensive linemen are better, which, by the way, shout out to Alex Light, who held his own filling in briefly at left tackle and then a couple of snaps at right tackle for Bulaga as well. Elton Jenkins was tremendous again last night. Aaron Jones makes everyone else better and opened things up for that offense last night. Looked completely different, like a completely different offense with him out there. I want to talk about Aaron Jones and kind of apply it to this conversation we've had about the Packers wide receivers, right? Last couple of weeks, you're saying, man, their wide receivers aren't good enough with Devontae Adams. Should they trade for one? Should they do this? Should they do that? And I think we feel that way because we look at the box score. We look at the statistics and we say, man, wide receivers really didn't do a whole lot today, right? It was all running backs and tight ends, right? Wide receivers don't have that many touchdowns. It's mostly tight ends and running backs. In fact, since Adams' injury, the Packers have scored 12 touchdowns, four by wide receivers, all all different, four different wide receivers. Two tight ends have scored touchdowns, or two touchdowns, two tight ends, both Jimmy Graham, and six touchdowns to running backs. Three for Williams, three for Jones. 12 touchdowns, four to wide receivers, two to tight ends, six to running backs. And last night, at the end of the game, the big play on third down where you had to have it to seal the deal, who they throw to, not a wide receiver, not even a tight end, but Aaron Jones, a running back. We get so concerned that wide receivers aren't seeing a bunch of targets, a bunch of big plays, a bunch of touchdowns. It's by design. LaFleur wants to throw to running backs. Now, when Devontae Adams comes back, they work him back in. They find his role, and I'm sure they target him a certain amount uh, during a game, and, and they find him on third down and in the red zone, etc. But LaFleur does not need elite wide receivers to run his offense. He wants to throw to running backs. We talked about that this summer when we were trying to figure out, oh, what's LaFleur going to do with this Packers offense? He's going to throw to running backs because you saw it in Los Angeles. You saw it in Tennessee. You saw it in Atlanta with Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman. And now he's bringing it to Green Bay. It's by design. Now, I'm not, I'd love to have Devontae Adams back right now. They're a better team with Devontae Adams. Because on a third and short, in the red zone, in crunch time situations where you need your player to go beat their player and get a yard, get three yards, get across the goal line, Devontae Adams is that guy as is Aaron Jones. And it, you can have more than one of those guys, right? But we get so bent out of shape when we see, man, since Devontae Adams got hurt, and that was four weeks ago now, wide receivers only have four touchdowns. And all four touchdowns have been to different wide receivers. LaFleur's not bent out of shape, not losing sleep over that. And I don't think Devon, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is losing sleep over that either. Because so much of this offense is predicated on lining Aaron Jones up in the slot, out wide, running routes from the backfield. It's by design. It's by design. In fact, if you look at the last four games without Devontae Adams and just exactly how involved Aaron Jones has been, 271 rushing yards on about 4.9 yards per carry, four touchdowns. 22 catches, 
280 yards, three touchdowns, receiving. That's 551 total and seven total touchdowns. They're running their offense through Aaron Jones. And we get so bent out of shape, so concerned, that we're only seeing so many targets go to wide receivers and only so many touchdowns to wide receivers. In fact, only four in the last four weeks have gone to wide receivers without Devontae Adams, right? Lafleur's okay with that. Rodgers is okay with that. It's by design. It's part of the system. It's part of the scheme. And it's part of the way that Lafleur is coached in Green Bay, in Los Angeles, in Atlanta, in Tennessee. And we knew that coming in. We shouldn't act surprised. And last night when the game and the plays meant the most and you needed to have it, you needed to convert, Aaron Jones was the guy. Their last drive went like this. Aaron Jones, six-yard run. Aaron Jones, two-yard run. Aaron Jones, four-yard run. That was the third down play where they checked into the run and executed great. It was run run right off right tackle, picked up the first down. Then on first down, Aaron Jones runs for nine yards, then for five, then Jamal Williams for two, then Aaron Jones for three, and then the winning clinching play was the Aaron Jones catch that went for eight yards. The final drive, seven touches, 37 yards, and, and, and clinching the game. We get bent out of shape about wide receivers not being effective. I shouldn't say effective. The quantity, the production isn't at the same level that we've seen in the past. Lafleur's okay with that. In fact, Lafleur's doing a pretty good job creating offense, creating scoring, creating yards, just going through running backs. Just imagine when Devontae Adams comes back. They're going to have options. Things are going to be even more wide open. And I can't wait to see how number 17 is reintegrated back into this offense. Now that they've almost had to learn to fly without their best player, without their safety net. I think that Devontae Adams' injury, looking back at it, is a little bit of a blessing in disguise. Although I do think if Devontae Adams stays healthy, they beat the Eagles. I don't think they lose that game. But that's a side note at this point. 7-1 and one and first in the division. Maybe the more interesting topic from last night, although Aaron Jones was fantastic and super fun to watch and dynamic and looked on the same level as Tyree Kill and Mecole Hardman, just flashing last night. I think the most interesting story is the defense. They gave up 24 points to Matt Moore. Is that, is that a lot? I, I kind of want to dig into this and, and, and maybe take a pulse of how you feel about this Packers defense over the last two weeks where they've been uh, a little bit more porous, giving up some yards, giving up some points. Let's talk about the defense coming up next. Recapping the Packers 31-24 victory over the Chiefs here on the Wisco Sports Show. Back in a minute, presented by Played Against Sports here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging out. Hope your week is is off to a good start. You enjoyed your weekend. Uh, We have snow on the way tonight, or at least it sounds like... We have snow on the way tonight. I I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know how I feel about that. That that might actually be what ruins my night. That and uh, the combination of a horrible Monday night football game. Steelers and Dolphins. Why did that seem like a good idea at the beginning of the year? I understand they had some injuries and some things that have happened, but and that, that doesn't exactly sound like a hard decision in the meetings a couple of months ago. Man, oh man. We're not talking about the Dolphins or the Steelers, why would we do that? This is the Wisco Sports Show, and we're talking about an interesting team, the Green Bay Packers and the Chiefs. They were 31 winners, 31-24 winners at Arrowhead last night uh, over Kansas City and over Matt Moore. And and interestingly enough, 
The storyline that I've heard talked about today mostly hasn't been Aaron Rodgers, although he made some crazy throws last night. And it hasn't been Aaron Jones, although he has been great. Although Aaron Jones mostly gets used as as a, kind of a heel for, for people who don't like Aaron Rodgers. Uh, the Skip Bayless is of the world saying things like, well, Aaron Rodgers isn't even the best Aaron on his team. I don't know if that's exactly Aaron Jones getting his due, right? Rather than just being used in a pawn to hate on Aaron Rodgers. The biggest story today has actually been the Packers defense. I, I heard a couple people talking about it on Fox today. It got mentioned on ESPN this morning and trying to float around, listen to Bill Michaels, listen to Dan Patrick, listen to David Scrady in the morning. The big story is the defense. And I'm not going to say they were bad last night. And I'm not going to say they were bad last week. I'm going to use the term underwhelming. They were underwhelming. They were good enough to win. No one is denying that. No one is doubting that. They were good enough to win. Last week, they made a goal line stand, for God's sakes. They had an interception last night. A heads-up play by Tyler Lancaster to just scoop up the football while he was laying on the ground. Right? Forcing a three and out and then a field goal attempt that ends up missing. Uh, after the Chiefs were placed on the on the 30-yard line, right? So they, they made plays. Maybe underwhelming, though, as we've seen kind of the pass rush be slow the last couple of weeks. And they've they've given up some yards, 480 yards to Oakland last week, 337 to Kansas City yesterday. Matt Moore threw for 267 yards. Look, 24 points wasn't that bad, and I don't remember how much they how many they gave up uh, to the Raiders exactly. It's not like it was otherworldly. The Packers won that game, 42-24. So the Packers have given up 24 points in the last two weeks. I don't think that's bad. I don't think that's terrible. But if you watched the game, maybe you would say that the defense was slightly underwhelming. I think that's the the word, that's the phrase that I'm going to use. The most concerning part of the defense the last two weeks, to me, has been the lack of pass rush. And I know they got two sacks last night uh, in big spots, and they came through. But they didn't get any sacks last week against Oakland. And, And what was the story going into Oakland, going into Kansas City? Man. Going to go against a banged-up offensive line. The Smiths are going to eat, right? The Smiths are going to feast. I'm thinking five, six sacks this week, maybe more. And it just really didn't pan out that way. And maybe that's the fault of people setting up those expectations, right? Maybe maybe that's the fault of, of outside noise. Of people saying, man, they're going to be great this week, and then not so much. Going against backup offensive linemen, though, replacement offensive linemen, and the Chiefs lost Duvernay Tardif last night, which is one of the best names in the entire NFL. Back off of offensive linemen, you should be able to to make hay against guys like that. And last night, two sacks, all right, fine. Last week against Oakland, they didn't sniff Derek Carr. 267 to Matt Moore last night, 337 yards total. There's two ways to look at this. I spent hours today thinking about this, trying to balance the negative and the positive. So we're going to try to put a negative spin on it, and then we're going to come back and try to put a positive spin on it. I think it's a little bit of a mix of both. I'm leaning a little bit towards my positive spin. So let me explain. If you wanted to be negative and critical of the Packers' defense last night, here's how you would do it. Man, you ran a boring four-man rush. And you played a soft zone. You didn't blitz at all last night. And and by blitz, bring extra guys, right? Obviously, they're going after the quarterback, but they're doing it from their their even front, right? They're they're four offensive linemen. Go forward, try to get the quarterback. We're not going to commit extra linebackers, safeties, corners. You four get after the quarterback. We're going to play a soft zone. Pretty boring. Not a lot of deception trickery going on there. Pretty bland. If you wanted to be negative, you could say they were losing one-on-one matchups, right? They were getting blocked up front. Kevin King and Jair Alexander were getting beat on the outside, albeit by really, really good wide receivers. Second week in a row that the pass rush wasn't as good as we expected because they were going up against backup offensive linemen. We just expected more. 
losing one-on-one matchups on the outside and on the inside. And some missed tackles as well. But like I said, you're going to have that against players like Tyreek and Mikael Hardman. That would be the negative side. And of course, giving up all that yardage. 480 to Oakland, 337 to Kansas City. And Matt Moore, a backup. Now, if you wanted to try to put a more positive spin on this and give Mike Pettin and the defense the benefit of the doubt, and I think there are a lot more reasons too, as I'm going to talk for a little bit longer on this one, and you'll see. If you want to put a positive spin on it, this would this is what I would say. This is how I would defend the Packers' defense after last night. Pettin did not know what to expect, right? Pettin didn't know what he was in for, so he played bland. He said, you know what? I don't know what we're going against. So we're going to put four guys up front. We're not going to blitz a whole lot. We're just going to play him straight up, and we're going to play in a zone behind. Very bland, nothing too crazy, not a whole lot of deception going on there. Not a lot of movement, just four up front and a soft zone behind. That was a big majority of the game last night. Don't know what to expect because you're going up against a backup quarterback. You're going up against an uncommon opponent in Kansas City you only see once every four years. You're going against one of the best head coaches ever, in Andy Reid, who's very creative and can make just about any quarterback look good. See Alex Smith, Kevin Cobb, Donovan McNabb at the end of his career, right? Very creative, and he knows offense. And he's got great weapons in Nicole Hardman and Tyree Kill. Oh, yeah, and Travis Kelsey, who I don't think we've mentioned yet during this show. And they had 10 days off to prepare. Haven't played since Thursday Night Football 10 days ago. Now 11 days ago. Didn't know what to expect. Because of a backup quarterback, uncommon opponent, a great head coach who's got a lot of creativity, off of a mini-buy. So Pettin said, we're going to play bland. We're going to play straight up up front, not blitz a whole lot, and play a zone behind. Positive spin, trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. Green Bay's best aspect of their defense is their pass rush. Preston and Zadarius Smith and Kenny Clark up the middle. Finding ways to get Kyler Fackrell and Rashawn Gary involved as well. Green Bay is, I'd say, their best aspect of their defense is the pass rush. Well, Kansas City is great at running screens. Nothing neutralizes a pass rush like a screen. Nothing. And it also helps that, oh yeah, not only are we a great screen team, but we probably have a couple of the best players in the league to run screens. In Tyree Kill, who's faster than any man I've ever seen play football, and Nicole Hardman, the rookie, and you know what? Travis Kelsey and LaShawn McCoy aren't bad options either. I think the positive side makes a little bit more sense. But I think it's a little bit of both. I do. Now, I listed off reasons to be positive, listed off reasons to be negative. I think there were more reasons to be positive. That doesn't mean the negative bullet points and the negative reasons don't count. They don't matter. Corners were beat up pretty good at times last night. Missed a lot of tackles in open space, which will happen. Second week in a row that the pass rush felt slightly underwhelming because you're going up against a banged up offensive line. Although the Chiefs did have 10 days off, like I said, I, I'm just finding more reasons to be positive. Maybe that's my Packer fandom. Maybe. Maybe it's the Packers won the last two weeks. And ultimately, giving up 24 points, with Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback, you should be able to win those games. And they have the last two weeks, scoring 42 and 31 points. I want to see a little bit more. I want to continue to see this defense well, really get healthier now that Darnell Savage is back. And I think Ibrahim Campbell might make a return at some point, although when he wasn't activated on Saturday, I don't know what that spells for his chances coming back. Getting healthier up front, right? Getting healthier at that linebacking core as Oren Burks continues to work himself back into the fold and really is learning how to play the game because he's missed so much time here in his second year. 
I need to see more, but but I'm not bailing on this defense yet because they can create turnovers, because they can create sacks, negative plays to get extra opportunities for the offense and to put the opposing offense, the Chiefs last night, in bad situations. Third and long, whether that's through sacks or penalties or gaining extra possessions like that LaShawn McCoy fumble. And they had a couple shots at an interception, right? That one in the end zone that would have been called back because of an iffy penalty against Jermon Williams. Darnell Savage had in his hands, and I understand uh, the hands to the face, takes and gives away, right? What's the what's the expression? It giveth and it taketh away. The hands to the face penalty coming back a, a couple weeks to the Detroit game. And Blake Martinez had a really good shot on that final possession, too, of, of making an interception. Not just Blake Martinez, but a couple players. Can't really blame Blake. He's got a club on his hand, for God's sake. I'm seeing more reasons to be positive about the defense rather than negative. But time will tell. Packers have some interesting games coming up, right? The Chargers who are, are it's going to be a home game. That is going to be a home game in Los Angeles. Going against three straight NFC West opponents, or AFC West opponents, Raiders, Chiefs, Chargers, then the Panthers and the 49ers. I don't know if there's a powerhouse offense in there. The Niners, like the Packers or like the Saints, just week by week, find a way to play the right type of game to get it done. But an interesting chance next week and against the Panthers, certainly for this defense to maybe get back to the dominate way that we saw from them in the first couple weeks of the season. When we come back, we've had enough positive for today. Uh, Let's get angry. Let's get fired up. The Badgers uh, losing in Columbus on Saturday. And you know what? I'm actually not that angry about it. Maybe that's some false advertising. Let's talk a little bit about what has led to the Badgers losing two in a row and and maybe what their situation looks like moving forward uh, further into Big Ten play. We'll wrap up the Wisco Sports Show coming up next here on WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I am your host, Grant Mills. Thanks for hanging out. We have snow on the way. Try to enjoy your night well you can. Uh, don't forget, if you missed out on any part of the show, you can find it at WKTYsports.com. Just click on the Podcasts tab. Normally, it goes up just a couple minutes after 6 o'clock, so you can find it there. Talked to a lot of Packers today. A, a, a fun discussion. Look, the Packers are 7-1, and one, and as I said to start the show, I've said it a couple of times, I, I don't think last night's win means anything in the grand landscape of, of things. I don't think this launches the Packers into a new category of competition, Makes Aaron Rodgers the MVP or Aaron Jones the top five back. It's just win number seven, right, of eight games. First place in the division. It's it's just another win, another notch on the belt, and, and forward the Packers march, right? I think that's all it is. It was fun talking about it, fun to watch. Move on to next week. I think that's really all there is to it. Talked about a lot of fun stuff. You can find the podcast at WKTYsports.com. It's been a lot of positive. It's been a lot of fun today. We need to talk about something a little bit more somber, a little bit more, uh, well, just unfortunate, but all too predictable, I guess, even for the most optimistic Badger fan. They lost 38-7 to in Columbus on Saturday in what looked just like a disgusting game. Pouring rain in Columbus, Ohio at 11 o'clock in the morning. Man. Yeah, you couldn't pay me to go sit outside and watch that game. Jack Cohen, I mean, threw for 108 yards. Through 10 times. Like, this is just the, this is the blandest, most uneventful game I have seen, especially from the Wisconsin side. The best part of Saturday was that we started for the Badger game, uh, the only good part of the Badger game, where uh, they matched Ohio State through most of the first half, and by matched 0 0, uh, was our watch party at the Mirage Sports Bar on the south side. I, I'm not going to lie. Uh, that was my first time at the Mirage, and it's a place I'm going to have to go back to because it is really, really cool. 
Really cool place, and it's kind of a hidden gem. It's not downtown, right? you got to kind of go outside of the downtown area to find some of these awesome places where we've done watch parties, where we've done broadcasts, whether that's Sloopy's or a place like the Mirage. It was really cool, and I got to talk to a couple listeners. That was really, really fun. That was the best part about the game, right? Having a $3 Bloody Mary, getting people signed up to win that Jonathan Taylor jersey. That was the best part of this game. The game itself left a lot to be desired. Look, Ohio State is a much better team. They are better than Wisconsin every year. Of the next... 20 years, I imagine that maybe except for one or two years, Ohio State will be better than Wisconsin. And that is a that is a matter of fact. That's just the state of nature in the Big Ten. Ohio State's a better, bigger program with more resources, with more money, with lower academic standards, and students and, and players want to go play there because they put players in the NFL every single year. The Badgers do too, but not on the level that Ohio State does. Ohio State is better. And they will be better, and they have been better. But at some point, you need to find a way to get a win. And I'm not saying consistently, right? I'm not saying every single year you got to go toe-to-toe with the Buckeyes and beat them. But it's that whole principle, that whole idea from the movie Miracle. You know, we play them ten times, they might win nine. Like, one time you need to find that one game to win, right? Play them ten times, they might win nine. Well, when is that one game going to come about? And I'm not talking about the David Gilreath game from whatever year that was before I can even remember. I'm only 21, so I have to apologize. Was that 2008, 2009, a little bit before that maybe? My Badger, my Badgers guest like Zach Heilprin uh, would absolutely cringe and probably refuse to come back on the program that I don't know that, by the way. But when is that one win coming? Play them 10 times, they might win nine. Well, when is the Badgers one win coming? Because it seems like same team, right? Different team, different year, same game, same result. And my criticism of this game, although it, was, it wasn't it was close, I mean, are we going to waste our time? My criticism of this game of the same, it was the same as the game in Illinois. Same issue. They're just playing not to lose. They're playing scared. Don't live scared. There's, just not, there's no way to live. No way to play football. I, I thought one tweet that I saw really summed it up. Guest to the show, friend of the show, Evan Flood uh, who covers high school sports and college sports and specifically the Badgers for 24-7 sports. I thought his tweet on Saturday was really good and gets to the crux of this argument. Different teams, different type of game, but my biggest criticism of the 17-2017 championship game was that the Badgers took a half to feel out Ohio State and played from behind the whole way and were dominated the last two quarters. Same thing today. Nobody beats Ohio State by being conservative. It looked like the Badgers, and specifically Paul Christ and, and, and Joe Rudolph and that offensive staff, were coaching and playing not to lose rather than to win. At some point, you got to be gutsy. And that doesn't mean like, oh, run a flea flicker, try an onside kick, but you need to put the ball into your quarterback and trust that he's going to make some plays. Four years, for the last three years, we had to endure Alex Hornibrook. And what we were told or what we had come to understand, I, I don't know if Paul Christ or Barry Alvarez or anybody I've ever explicitly said, but what we had come to understand was that their defense is good, their receivers are there, running game is there, they're just waiting on the quarterback, just need the quarterback. Don't need to be an amazing quarterback, just needs to be a competent guy who can make some throws from the pocket, athletic enough to step outside and extend a play here and there. Now, by my estimation, Jack Cohen has been that guy. He's not Russell Wilson, but he's not Alex Hornibrook. And this defense, numerically, statistically, has been the best in the country. Forcing turnovers, getting to the quarterback, pitching multiple shutouts. These wide receivers, by my estimation, are really, really, really good. Danny Davis, A.J. Taylor, Quintez Cephas, who's kind of 
like been the lighthouse to that group, been the anchor, right? And Aaron Crookshanks and Kendrick Pryor are quick and they can run gadget plays and get creative. And Jonathan Taylor might just be the best running back in college football. And the offensive line is, as usual, a Wisconsin offensive line. Now, I had come to understand that it was just the quarterback we were waiting for. And when that quarterback comes along, things will be different. I'm not saying Jack Cohen's a first-round pick or that he's Russell Wilson, but he ain't Alex Hornibrook. But I'm seeing the same game. I'm seeing the same mentality, the same execution, the same play call, as if Alex Hornibrook were still the quarterback. So what was the point? What was the point of making a quarterback change effectively last year and moving on from Alex Hornibrook and going to Jack Cohen if you're going to play the same way, call the same game, and, and by what I see, play scared. Coach scared. Waiting for the game to be not lost rather than actually going out and, and trying to win it. We waited through three years of, of Alex Hornibrook, a little bit of Bart Houston as well, to get a competent quarterback. And now the Badgers have a competent quarterback, and you game plan like Alex Hornibrook is still under center. That is maddening to me. If you wait for Ohio State to beat you and play not to lose, they are going to beat you, and you are going to lose. 38-7. to I'm not saying, look, you did a terrible job at this, you did a terrible job at this. You just were outmatched in every facet of the game. And it was 0-0 at the end of the first, and it was only 10-0 at halftime. You had opportunities to be gutsier, to try to make something happen rather than waiting for the game and waiting for Ohio State to take over the game because they're the better team. Play them 10 times, they might win 9. Well, I'm, I'm waiting for that one time where the Badgers come in with a perfect complement of little trick plays here and there and, and, and energetic shots to take down the field. It never happens. Maybe it'll never happen. I don't know. But if you're waiting for Ohio State to regress, it ain't going to happen. It's just not. Bucks on WKTY tonight, 7 o'clock tip, 6.30 pregame with Justin Garcia and the rest of the Bucks Radio Network. Enjoy tonight. Stay warm. Just sit inside, listen to the Bucks, and ignore the snow. Back tomorrow to talk about it all. Talk to you then.